7.03 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program, which is going to feature Nick Shook from NFL.com in a moment here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, we are on the it's, the, it's the eve of week eight of the NFL season. Thursday night football tomorrow. And then, of course, a full bevy of games this coming weekend. Joining us now to look back on week seven, look ahead to week eight. Our good buddy from NFL.com, Nick Shook, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. My co-host here, Jason Bruff came up with a great question uh, that I wanted to lead off with. Who is the more frustrated future Hall of Fame quarterback right now? Is it Tom Brady of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or is it Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I would – well, it depends, because who's more likely to tell you about how frustrated they are? Because that answer is Aaron Rodgers. That definitely feels like an Aaron Rodgers answer, yes. And and I think he's thrown caution to the wind with – with how he's handling this at this point. I think Tom Brady's more frustrated because I think their situation is more dire. This this looks like, you know, this is Brady's last run. This is his last dance of sorts. And this team is nowhere near where they expect it to be. I mean, they look like a disinterested, miserable team, top to bottom. They might be, you know, competitive in a few games, but overall they look like they don't want to be there. The body language is bad, above, uh, among many other things. Whereas... The Packers have a mix of young and, and, you know, a few veterans. They're dealing with some injuries. Um, and, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, more than anything, is just frustrated with his receivers and his, his lack of targets, uh, you know, his, last, his lack of pass catchers that, are, that he can rely on. I think he's upset that Devontae Adams is gone. I think he's mad that the Packers waited until now to draft young guys who are not stepping up in key moments, who consistently drop passes downfield when they're open, who can't get open sometimes. And the the Packers are where they are because of it. A, lar- a large part of that is because of their defense is also um, there's there's been some you know minor issues in some of those games. But I think more than anything, it's just because I think Rodgers they can't throw the football down the field, and that's what he's used to doing. And I think he's really tired of it very quickly, quicker than I think even he expected. And that's why they're three and four and in a weird situation. So to a certain extent, we saw this Packers issue coming because Devontae Adams leaves the Packers, and they don't really replace him with any accomplished veteran receiver and Aaron Rodgers is talking in the preseason about you know the young guys needing to play better did did we see the did we see this Tampa Bay Buccaneers um bad season coming uh should we have seen it coming we could have uh to a degree I think losing some of the guys they got they had defensively like Indominus Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul made a bigger impact than we probably realized um, I, not like this though, uh, with the Buccaneers, not like what we saw with the, you know, like you just explained with the Packers, not, not like to this degree. And, and maybe the only red flag is one that we all picked up on, which came very late in, in what was essentially the preseason, which is all the offensive line injuries they suffered. Because you take that out. I have, I have a feeling they're playing a little bit better football right now than they are. You, you had your usual starting line, although they did lose some guys in free agency as well. So, um, but if you have that fully healthy starting offensive line, maybe you're a little bit better. 
and they're not as miserable and they're more interested. But I think it was always a risk. I think it was always a risk with Brady coming back out of retirement, being retired for what, 40 days. It's like a, it's a biblical number. And, and, and he's unfortunately experiencing a, 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 the, the opposite of a storybook ending right now. You know, and, and when he came out of retirement and, and they, you know, basically like, oh, okay, I guess we're going for this again. I guess you are playing again. Um, it was always there was always a chance, especially with everything that's you know been happening off the field for Brady as well. So uh, the combination of all of that, we had some signs, but I still don't think we ever could have expected it to be at this point right now. We act like they're winless; they're not, but they look very far from a team that's interested in being good this year. It's it's really fascinating because we're, we're coming up as I mentioned on week eight, so we're just about at that midway point of the season and. We'll focus on the NFC here for a sec because we're talking about Brady and, and Rodgers. It's been really surprising, and no one could have predicted this. Not just that those guys are middling, and then you look at last week especially, and like Tom, a Tom Brady-led offense putting up three points against Carolina, and Carolina you know, is now like one game out of the lead in the NFC South. It's, it's remarkable. But then you look at the, the top of the NFC, and you've got the 6-1 and one New York Giants, which I don't think anybody expected. You've got the 4-3 and three Seattle Seahawks, first place in the NFC West, which nobody expected. They're on a collision course this weekend. Walk us through the Giants a little bit more. I know that you were on them last week to continue their winning ways, and they did. You look at the numbers, and you're almost like, how is this sustainable? But at the end of the day, they're 6-1. and one. They're probably going to be a playoff team unless there's an epic collapse. Walk us through this Giants team and how they're getting it done. I'll let you in on a secret. I'm I'm with them again this week. Oh man! Despite being underdogs again. Yeah, I'm I'm riding. I know that's in your territory, (laughs) and I'm sorry, but (laughs) all right. Here's why. Uh, They're six and one. They have six comeback wins. Yeah, (laughs) all of their wins have been comeback wins. They've trailed in every game. Four of those games they've trailed by ten plus points. They've won three of them. They continue to do this, and when you watch the game, you're like. Well, I guess that wasn't extremely impressive. I, I mean, you come away from watching them every week and go, I don't even know how they came back and won. Like, I could watch this play-by-play, which I do. I could run it twice, three times. I actually ran it twice yesterday. And each time I'm like, wow. But once again, they just pull a win out of you-know-where. It, 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 you have to watch it sequentially, too. Like, you can't, you know, just watch the highlights because you have to understand how they get in the positions that mm-hmm. they get into. Because they're just – they're very – it's strange how they – like, the Ravens game, it, it was – they were destined to lose. And then before you know it, they're all of a sudden on top and icing it with a turnover. A Lamar Jackson interception and, and, you know, another turnover to ice it. Like a game they had no business winning, and they go and win it. it. Their offense is not extremely explosive, but it is operating efficiently. It's operating a lot better than it was in previous years. Brian Dable has definitely put his stamp on it, and it shows in Daniel Jones' play. But I think what's most important to this team on either side of the football is the, is the return of Saquon Barkley. Yeah. And I say return, that and when I say that, I mean he is back to who he was before all these injuries. And there was one play against Jacksonville where he took a handoff, he made one man miss, he juked to the right, and then back to the left, couple of jump cuts kind of, and then he got his feet churning real quick and got out of there. And I remember watching and thinking, as it was developing, and he was starting to build up after that second cut, in my head thinking, if he can get out of this hole right here, then the situation isn't right here, and pick up like five, ten yards, he's officially back. And what do you know? It boom, that's what he did. And I was like, well, all right. And we watched the replay, and you could see it, the the build. He's finally there. So I think that that the running game has helped them out tremendously. It's taken a lot of pressure off of Daniel Jones, and they're getting the most more than we possibly ever could have expected out of their defense. I mean, this is a defense that had to just cut James Bradbury because they're in such a bad cap situation <laughs> thanks to how Dave Gettleman left them before he 
rode off into retirement. And yet they're playing good football. It's been the investment in some of the young guys up front, uh, some some unexpected guys stepping up in the back end of the defense as well. Uh, if they if they're a team that if you look at them and you go, man, if they had a few more key guys, you know, young talent, this team could be good for the next five, ten years. What's, so yeah. it's hard to sustain success like that in the NFL for a long period of time. But that's why I believe in them. They're not winning conventionally, and yet they still find ways to win. Just imagine when they figure out how to win conventionally, so, or uh, or, they, or they or they get a wide receiver because that's the, that was a funny. I sent a yeah. screenshot to Bruff. Like, look at the guys that Daniel Jones is throwing to. Like, I haven't even heard of half these guys before, and they had like twelve different receivers, guys catching passes because they were so desperate hey, man, to try and get the don't, ball. Don't around. sully the name of David Sills the fifth. Yeah, that's like I'm like, who is that guy? Matt Breda. I'm like, he's still in the NFL. I had no idea. But the funny thing was, I was watching this video from Dan Orlovsky from ESPN that was kind of making the rounds. And he was highlighting the Giants uh, one offensive s- sequence against the Jaguars, where they just they ran the same running play like five times in a row, a different variation where it was just you know, guard kicks out, lays a huge block, and then it's just like Saquon for ten yards, Saquon for seven, Saquon for eight. There was nothing revolutionary. It was really old school to be honest. But here's the thing. Jacksonville couldn't stop it. Just they couldn't, and they were running the ball down their throat. That's what scares me about this weekend because although they have improved the last couple weeks, the Seahawks' run defense over the course of the year has not been good, and they've missed a lot of tackles, so I am a little leery about that. Yeah, it's like a tip in my hand for what I wrote about this matchup. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) No, it's all good. Don't worry. It'll be out in a few hours anyway. Uh, So basically, to explain this, is to think, well, are they, you know, are they not loading the box against the run? What's the issue? Is the personnel? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Exactly what you said is correct. Here's a little tip from Next Gen Stats. They're 28th in the league in yards, yards per rush allowed with a neutral box, which is seven defenders in the okay. box, right? Okay. Stacked box, they're 24th in the league. They're bad regardless of whether they put <laughs> additional players right. in there or not. Right. Okay. They have to be better. And it's, it's disappointing. I also think it's a, a product of, I hate to bring this name up, but of losing Bobby Wagner in that in that linebacking group. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Brooks, but I also think expecting him to be the guy right away is is a bit much for his plate. Um, it, you know, roster wise, I probably expect a little bit more out of their defensive front. But it, again, this is a Seahawks team that's overachieving. We talk about the Giants; the Seahawks are doing the same thing. This is a team that we expected to be in the basement of the NFC West, not in, anywhere close to a contender. And yet here they are with a slight uh, lead in, in the division to this point. I just think they're in a year of transition. You can't expect Al Woods and Jordan Brooks to hold up your, your rush defense. I thought you would get a little bit more out of Chen Nwosu, but I also think that he's a good player and that it's not necessarily that he's a run stopper. He's, he's kind of a guy who gets after the passer more than anything. So I just think it's a, it's a young group that is going to need, you know, in the next year or two more defensive pieces to really turn it back into a defense. So if you talk about this weekend, well, you might be – in line to give up some, you know, big yards. And, and, and that's kind of how you learn and, and dial in your off-season approach. Now, you don't want to look that way because they're in first place right now and they got half the season left. But I do think that for as well as they did in the draft this year, they're going to need another one to really get things together on that side of the ball. Uh, speaking of the NFC West, uh, is Jimmy G up to the task? Um, <laughs> you know, they – they were one possession last week against the Chiefs from coming back and winning that game. I mean, they were down by one point. And, and that uh, the, the turnover on the goal line where he heaved it up to try to throw to George so Kittle under bad. pressure. Just that was their him. last shot. That was their last shot in that game. And then they get sacked in the end zone when they're down, I think, eight or ten points because you never felt the rush coming from the blind side. 
I think that the, the addition of Christian McCaffrey and the development of Brandon Ayuk, I'm, I'm telling you right now, there's two guys in the 49ers that you need to watch that, you're, that people are probably not paying, uh, Hufunga might, they might be paying more attention to right now because of uh, what he did on Monday Night Football. But Talanoa, Hufunga on the defensive side of the ball, and Brandon Ayuk on the offensive side of the ball. Ayuk is becoming the guy that they expected him to be. If you watch his route running, the way he's making you know, nice grabs and, and, and gaining extra yards after the catch, he's improved significantly from year to year and, and is, is becoming a serious weapon in that offense. But I think they have enough people around him now with the addition of McCaffrey to be a good offense. And I hate to say this because, of course, they were playing the Chiefs when I, this occurred to me. But I thought, ah, man, you know, they might be good enough to go win a Super Bowl or contend for one, but they're always only going to go as far as Jimmy G can take them. And that game was an example of, look, we're right here in this game. We had a 10-point lead. Now we're down by one. We can go take the lead again before halftime and keep this, turn this into a heavyweight fight. For the first time this year, I looked at the 49ers against a legitimate opponent, and I thought, oh, man, they actually could, like, be a Super Bowl contender because they're playing like one right now against a good one. And then, you know, the, the Jimmy errors and Jimmy mistakes kind of opened the door for the Chiefs to capitalize. And by the end of the game, 49ers didn't have enough chance or enough time to, to take a chance and try to get back into the game. So I think that Jimmy's in a better spot now than he was maybe a few years ago. I think that the 49ers are in a better spot for a team that lost a starting quarterback than a lot of teams. You can go talk to the Saints about that, for example. Um, and I think that the NFC is wide open, but it's the same narrative over and over again with this team. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Nick, locally, our hockey squadron is off to a, a terrible start to the year, and it's just been this clown car circus show of dysfunction and disharmony and everything. So I'm, I like, I'm kind of drawn towards those situations now. I like paying attention from afar and seeing who's going through one. And I'm zeroed in on what's happened in Indianapolis with the Colts or last week because this decision to bench Matt Ryan has so many angles and twists and turns to it. I know like the former head coach Chuck Pagano came out and said this is a total waste of a situation. You got the owner Jim Ursay lauding Ryan for being this great leader and everything. And then he's benched for I mean Sam Erlinger who I barely know. I kind of remember him from his college days, but to turn this season over after week 7 to a completely untested rookie quarterback. Uh, it's fascinating. It's obviously controversial. What do you make of this situation, dare I say, mess in Indy? The first thing I think of when I think of Sam Elliott is uh, him telling everyone that Texas was back yes, in college. that's right. And then, then not being back. It's, it's strange. It's, it's very strange, not because Elliott didn't have a nice little preseason, but just because you went and got Matt Ryan because you thought you were a contending team. Yes, he leads the league in interceptions, but he was also like a top five in, in terms of passing yards. Their offense has not been good, and I don't think it's been Matt Ryan necessarily. He just hasn't protected the football very, very well. Maybe Frank Reich sees what I'm worried that everybody else saw weeks ago, which is that Matt Ryan's ability to make decisions under pressure has slowed to the point that it's now costing the Colts games. It, it happened against. It almost happened against Denver. They ended up coming back and winning that game where he just threw two terrible interceptions to a defensive back underneath. Uh, it happened again uh, this past week. Uh, you know, he can basically be duped into throwing interceptions now at, at, a, at a at a rate that is like strange to me for a, a veteran quarterback. Like defense is doing very simple things, but then adding the pressure in Matt Ryan's brain like shorts. Having said all that, this is supposed to be the guy that was gonna. Do better than Carson Wentz. He's going to add some stability, even if only for a year. He was supposed to have the Philip Rivers, you know, 
single year of success in Indianapolis that he had before he rode off into the sunset. And yet it has not been that. And the Colts have been very up and down offensively at best, uh, future at worst, because at times they've been very bad and, and have had very little faith in them. And that has to do with the weapons or lack thereof that Matt Ryan's been playing with also shuffling around the offensive line due to injuries and, and departures. Um, but I don't see how you get any better with Sam Ellinger. It's not like Sam Ellinger is a first-round pick that, you know, he's not hes not even a, a Desmond Ritter or a Malik Willis, right. the guy that you spent a high pick on. You know, All right, well, I guess you got to get Kenny Pick in there and figure out who he is. Time to turn the page. By the way, the Colts are also in a decent spot in the standings <laughs> yeah. when it comes to their division, which also can't get out of its own way. So it's strange. I know that Matt Ryan is dealing with an AC separation, and, but it was weird that Frank Reich said this is going to happen anyway. I mean, is this guy lighting it up that well in practice? I don't know. Um, it's <laughs> It makes for a strange game coming into this weekend. That's for sure. Um, the pressure's going to be on, so we'll see what happens. Nick, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for doing it. We always appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy Thursday night football, all the games this weekend, and we'll do this again real soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 from the National Football League. We will shift gears ever so slightly to the Canadian Football League and your British Columbia Lions. Now, this game this weekend against Winnipeg means nothing, but it means an awful lot. What am I talking about? Well, everything's already set standings-wise for the Lions. They're going to host a home playoff game. They're going to finish second. They're going to take on Calgary at BC Place. That's set. Win, lose, tie, forfeit, whatever this weekend, Mm. it doesn't matter. However, this game is of huge consequence. What am I talking about? Nathan Rourke, ladies and gentlemen, is back as your starting quarterback of the British Columbia Lions. Rick Campbell, the head coach, announced on Tuesday that he is going to start against Winnipeg and play at a minimum, I think, a full quarter. For the BC Lions. So the game starts at around 5.30 our time. It's a Friday night football, BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So if you're setting your TV watching schedule for Friday night, you can go, okay, I'm going to watch the first quarter of the Lions game and see how Nathan Rourke looks. And then I can just switch over and watch the Canucks host the Penguins. Or I don't know, you can start drinking or something Yep. Uh, instead of that. Uh, Nathan Rourke, again, will play Friday in Winnipeg. Um, so Rick Campbell obviously wants to be real careful with this situation. And Nathan Rourke said, listen, I, I got to be mindful of the fact that I'm still healing. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent back yet, but he also said, but I can't think about that too much. I still have to go out there. And if I have to use my legs, I'm going to use my legs, but let's put it this way. I don't think there's going to be any, uh, plays for like a quarterback run, right? Like I, a design if, draw play first, if, first snap from scrimmage. Yeah. Oh, that took him by surprise. And Nathan Rourke is down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rick Campbell said it's part of what we talked about over the weeks. Uh, we could have gone the route of just letting him play in the playoff game, but I think he's going to feel better getting back out there and getting some live action and just getting back to it. So that's all part of this whole path back to playing. Uh, the weather forecast last I checked in Winnipeg, which is like how many people actually outside of Winnipeg checked the weather forecast in Winnipeg? Well, I was doing it, and I'm sure the BC lines were doing it. Last I checked, it was fine. It was above freezing. There was no snow. So I don't think we have to be too worried about you know Nathan Rourke slipping out there or, I don't know, following over a uh, snowmobile or anything. I don't know. Things happen in Winnipeg. It's crazy. But... 
but you still got to be careful. You're still going to be worried. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be really worried. Almost every time he takes a snap, I'm going to be worried. There's two things I'm going to be worried about. Number one, his health. Uh, This list Frank injury is, you know, I remember reading about it and going, you don't want to rush this. Mm -hmm. This is not an injury you want to rush. You can recover from it, but it's a long term. Uh, so that's the number one thing I'll be worried about. The number two thing I'll be worried about is how's he going to look? Like, is he going to be good? I want the Lions to win this game mm-hmm. against Calgary. I don't want them to just host a playoff game and be happy to get there. They're probably going to have Nathan Rourke starting that game, assuming everything goes well in Winnipeg. They're probably going to have Brian Burnham back. They might have Lucky Whitehead back. They could have the full roster back against a Calgary Stampeders team that they got a pretty good rivalry with. Mm-hmm. I don't want the Lions to lose to the Stamps at BC Place. I want them to win that game and have a shot at taking out the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West Final and get to the Grey Cup. I mean, what an incredible season that would be. Yep. For the first year of Amar Doman's ownership to go through uh, everything that they've been through from the excitement of the season opener to the excitement of, oh my God, they got... Franchise quarterback here, Nathan Rourke. Oh, wait a minute, are we going to lose him to the NFL? No, we lost him to an injury. There's no way he'll be back, right? Well, he's back. I mean, what a roller coaster. I hope, I hope people show up to this game on November 6th. And I'm just going to keep repeating the date. Sunday, November 6th, 1.30 at BC Place. What's that date, Jason? Sunday, November 6th at BC Place. It's a 1.30 start. I've been bemoaning the... Lack of big games that we've been able to attend in this market for quite a long time on this show. You know, we hope to have the the, the Canada World Cup friendly against Iran. We didn't get that one. Uh, you know, we've been hoping for the Canucks to play a, a home playoff game. They haven't in a long time. 2015 was the last playoff game at Rogers Arena. The Whitecaps haven't given us much. Even the Seahawks down the road in the last few years, they haven't given us much. Well, here's an opportunity. This is a big game. It's got it's got the more than just a playoff game feel to it with the return of Nathan Rourke. Like there's, it's not just yeah the Lions are in the playoff game playoffs. You should show up. You've got yeah the Lions are in the playoffs, but they've also got this really cool story to monitor in that Nathan Rourke, this guy who's been injured for half the season with a really serious injury, is probably going to start that game. What can, what's he going to look like? See, that's the key to the whole thing, is that this isn't just getting to the playoffs. It's getting to the playoffs with so much intrigue at the quarterback position, right? Because remember, and I didn't even realize this until looking it up, um, when the Lions last hosted a playoff game back in 2016. It was a great game. Yeah, no, it was a really small crowd. Oh, it yeah. was 19,000 people. Yeah. And part of the reason was, is I don't think there was a lot of intrigue around a team that was, admittedly, they had a good regular season. They were 12 and 6 that year. But there wasn't the sense of anything. There wasn't for, buzz. For lack of a better term, special. Yeah. Right? Lule was a quarterback, but he had been here for a while, and he was kind of getting banged up. But the, the bigger picture was, I don't think anyone expected anything beyond that one, one win. Because remember, they went to Calgary the next game and they got absolutely throttled in the playoffs right this was 2016 19 just over 19,000 were on hand for that playoff game six years ago at BC Place I really hope and I kind of expect yes I'm putting expectations on the market for that number not to be obliterated but like that this should be like 30k for this game come on 
There hasn't been a big game in forever, as Jason has mentioned. They haven't had a playoff game at BC Place in six years. We're coming out of a pandemic where for two years, people were just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for opportunities like this to arrive. Right? It's a great story. Rourke's coming back. All the pieces of the recipe are here for something really special. All it needs to happen is two things. One, Rourke's got to get through Winnipeg healthy. And two, people got to show up on what day, Jason? What Sunday, day? November 6th. Right? It's been so long since the Lions had a playoff game that Halford forgot who was actually the quarterback for the BC Lions in that game against the Bombers. It was Jonathan Jennings. That's who it was. I knew Lule was on the roster, but I couldn't remember who because he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it was Jennings. Well, there was hope for Jonathan right. Jennings. Then, yeah, yeah, right. right. No, I knew Lule was on the team. I just couldn't remember who the guy was. I knew it wasn't Lule. Don't feel bad. People don't remember. I don't like, remember it, Jonathan it was Jennings. A good, it was a good game, but it was mostly enjoyed by the hardcore fans. Yeah. Right? I'm hoping this one draws in a little bit more of the casual fans that perhaps missed going to games, you know, and games of importance and games with a big crowd. I don't know what the crowd's going to be like. I actually have no idea. You know, I could see it being a good crowd. I could see the, I could see 30,000, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's enough momentum in this market to really get the crowd out. I hope I'm wrong about that, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. What do we have coming up next? Uh, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff is going to join us. We'll dive back into the NHL talk with Frank. 8 o'clock, Dan Murphy, our Canucks vibe check guy here on the Halford and Bruff show. And then 8.30, what we learned, humanoids, your chance to win. Yes, a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Penguins on Friday night at Rogers Arena. Get your what we learns in, hashtag it WWL. Text it to 650-650, and do not forget to put a ticket emoji on your text so you can be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Penguins on Friday night. There's lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet, 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Original six. For me, I, I've never coached original six. That would intrigue me. You know, those teams always intrigue you. Uh, but the Canadian teams, it, it, you're under the microscope. But, you know, you sort of are in New York, too. So I, I wouldn't say it wouldn't. 7.36 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That voice you heard, that was the audio we were looking for. Barry Trotz, former head coach of the Nashville Predators, the Washington Capitals, the New York Islanders. Now currently unemployed, though maybe not for long. He was on the Cam and Strick podcast talking about uh, where he might be employed next. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Let's go to the phone lines. Joined as we are every week on this program. From uh, Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Frank. How are you? 
I'm good. How's everyone surviving out there? Oh, man. You know, it was weird because today is the first day where we didn't really have a ton to parse through because the Canucks didn't play last night. That means they didn't lose, which is great. They also didn't even practice. I was thinking about that. Yeah. It was like a rare shot of positivity today. Because there was no pain last night. And there was no practice. There was no media availability. Bruce didn't have to talk about the team. No one had to talk about the Canucks yesterday. So it was a very mellow, I called it a tranquil day. Was there anything? And the JT Miller pumpkin patch thing was kind of debunked, right? Yeah. Yeah. It it was. And, you know, I think the people that ran with that story probably got ahead of themselves. There should have been some sort of verification. I don't think we should trust things that come off Reddit and take them for... (laughs) Uh, that's a hundred percent true. Um, Mike and I intentionally didn't mention that story, even though we got a lot of people to text in cause we wanted to wait for someone to ask him about it. And uh, Thomas Drance did. And JT Miller said, yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, I don't know if he said it exactly like that. Um, but he certainly didn't confirm it happened. Um, well, Frank, what, there's hope for humanity then. Well, I don't know. I'm still, Maybe. I'm still down on it, but. Uh, Frank, what are you hearing about the Canucks behind the scenes? I, I think a lot of people in Vancouver at this point right now that they're just waiting for this management group, group to do something, even though it is only seven games into the season. Um, it really could not have started worse. No, it could not have. And, and look, I think everyone's waiting for that, that at some point, the longer this drags on, the longer this team goes without putting points in the bank, that... I think everyone's fully expecting, if it continues, that there will be a body thrown on the tarmac. Don't know whether that means it's going to be someone from the coaching staff or whether that means it's going to be a shakeup in terms of the roster and and locker room, a trade. I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities, as we all know, and we've sort of worked through those different permutations over the last week. I'm sure you guys have and, and have filled a lot of hours talking about that. But let's see. I mean, the, I think the clear watching, the clear choice, at least for the Canucks at this exact moment, is let's see if we can keep our powder dry. That's, why, that's their preference. Now, whether they'll be able to or not is a different story. It's interesting because uh, another writer from The Athletic, Harmon Dial, in one of his most recent pieces, broke down chronologically the history of Jim Rutherford pulling the choke chain and making one of those we got to shake it up trades when his team has either been spiraling or maybe just flat and not playing like he thought we've talked about this in the context of Rutherford going on after hours on Saturday and saying I'm not going to make a panic move now's not the time to make a panic move but at the same time you know Tiger doesn't really change its stripes I do wonder if there's something out there anything out there where it's maybe not even necessarily um making your team better, but just making it look different or just changing something up. Because as you mentioned, the body on the tarmac thing, I do think that that's accurate. I think something has to change. I do wonder if Rutherford might go to his bag of tricks and try and do just the good old-fashioned, let's shake up the room trade. I wouldn't be shocked to see it. I mean, and I mentioned it before, to me, the, the most obvious, clear candidate for that is Bo Horvat. And not to single any specific player out. I, and when I say this, I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, Bo Horvat's play or, or leadership or anything like that. He's the easiest person to pry off the roster when you consider his contract situation, the lack of progress that's been made on that front, the friction that's existed there. Um, 
and really just a general lack of communication overall. Like, not to dive too deep into what was said on, on Saturday night, but, you know, when you see comments like that from Bo Horvat, like, you know, the first thing that I thought of was like, this, this is a between the lines, read between the lines way of Bo Horvat saying, I want out, get me out of here. Um, that's, that's how I took it. And again, there's a lot of frustration and emotion that's put into that. You saw the jersey thrown on the ice, and I'm sure that rattles people. Um, maybe not so much JT Miller, but um, when you look at it, like that to me, um, it was it was interesting and and certainly raised an eyebrow as to you know does he want to be part of this moving forward? What do you make of the comments by Jim Rutherford about Bruce Boudreau um, and his future with the Canucks, which does not seem like there is going to be much of a future with the Vancouver Canucks and specifically, what did you make of the comment from Jim Rutherford that said when he originally took the job, he thought that Bruce Boudreaux was only signed for last season. I guess he didn't know about the second year option part of that contract, which I don't know, but but based on what I'm hearing, it sounds like he was asked to honor as opposed to wanted to honor. I can't speak to that part of it specifically, but I can tell you that, the comments definitely were at least the way they came off were a little bit strange. Um, I don't think it's any secret either that he wasn't, you know, Bruce Boudreaux like factually preceded the, the hirings of, of Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvin and whether or not he sort of rubber stamped it at the time uh, because he may have already been in conversation with Francesco Aquilini and the Canucks is a different story. Um, but I think, Part of it, too, is there was some frustration, I think, just in, in terms of how Jim Rutherford normally does business, that if there was indeed the option year, like, why are you asking for an extension then? Like, you've got your option year. Let's see how it goes, and we'll figure it out from there. Um, and it, it kind of felt like the way the summer played out, that it was like sort of like a game of chicken. Like, you know, are you going to accept the, the option knowing that we're not extending you, or, or are you going to walk? And I think that was part of it. And it kind of felt like in the end that um, I guess in, in some ways it, it sort of the optics were like, yeah, instead of, you know, walking and saying, oh, I'll just get a job elsewhere that Bruce Boudreaux in some ways caved. That was, that was how some people viewed it. Um, I don't know that I quite look at it the same. And I think you, you hit on two things that Jim Rutherford said in terms of being related to Bruce Boudreaux and the coaching staff. And to me, what was more interesting was that there was some sort of, I guess, when you look at this training camp and the way that the season has played out to start, he was asked about injuries and he said something like excuses, you know, injuries are excuses that losers make. And he said, when you have times like this and you have a rough start, you need to rely on structure. And I think structure to me, that was a buzzword. Like I was like, oh, structure, like that's, obviously a coaching, you know, that's a ping toward the coaching staff. But I think more than that, the Canucks management and front office, and I've mentioned this before, so it's not a shock. They've had concerns about Bruce Boudreaux's structure and the way things are run. Are they properly organized? What are practices like? You know, all those things. I think there's been some concern there, and I don't know that they've necessarily always been on the same page. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's like, that seems to be directed right at that.
Yeah, I fully agree with you. Talks about we had a bad training camp, lack of structure, we have bad habits. You know, that is a shot at the players for sure, but the head coach is someone who's in charge of all that. Uh, speaking of structure, Barry Trotz, his teams play with structure. They play with Barry Trotz yeah, structure. Uh, we played some audio from the Cam and Strick podcast with Barry Trotz on it, and he was asked about, you know, the idea of coaching for an original six team, and Trotz said um, it intrigues him, and, and we kind of went through the list of original six teams, and we, and we landed on Toronto as the most likely one for him to end up at if Sheldon Keefe does not um, return for next season. Um, are you hearing anything about Barry Trotz, about what he wants if he wants to return to working? Um, there's also been talk about him maybe stepping into a management role. Honestly, this has been this clip has been radio gold. I've done three hits in the last 12, now, 12 hours now where it's like, hey, uh, what do you think of this original six thing? And it started with a hit in Toronto, and then I just did one in Calgary. Same question. First off, if you're going to work through the original six equation, like most of the teams in the original six have a brand new coach yeah. this season or just started last year, and there's unlikely to be any coaching change. And Toronto, of course, the self-proclaimed center of the hockey universe. Um, you know, people are, are unhappy with the start that they've seen there. And, and then Sheldon's, Sheldon Keith's comments last week, um, which oddly enough, for someone being honest um, and not overly critical or personal in any way, uh, seemed to insert foot into mouth. Um, I, personally, I, I and, and having spent a bunch of time around Barry Trotz, I don't think any of this is his style. He's not someone that's out here politicking for a job. In fact, I bet you he regrets saying anything about that um, because that's not in his nature. Like he's not someone that's out here grandstanding for a job. He did the podcast probably because he just wanted to continue to talk hockey. Would he like to be behind a bench at a certain point again? Yes. He did a great story with Scott Burnside uh, in Scott's newsletter last week that um, was really good and, and touched on a lot of different things. He's not even entirely certain that he's ready yet. Um, when you talk about fit and you want to talk about Toronto, you know, for me and, and the way Barry Trotz's teams have always played, I think he's almost a perfect stylistic fit for what the Canucks would need. But here's the problem. I don't care if you take Barry Trotz, Bruce Boudreaux, Jack Adams himself, Scotty Bowman, doesn't matter. I don't think any of those things are going to make up for some of the issues that this Canucks team has roster construction-wise on the blue line. Like, you can attempt to, to play better defense in your zone and, and have a more team-oriented defense uh, structure, but it's not going to make up for the relative lack of talent between your blue line and other blue lines in the league that you're going to face and other forward groups. So, you know, that's really where the Canucks have to hone in on. And I think that's why this offseason, in a year in which they doubled down, re-signed Miller, and added some forwards, um, why defense probably should have been a priority. It's been a gaping and glaring hole that a lot of, you know, everyone that's a, even a casual observer of this team has recognized from afar. Well, I think it was a priority. I just think they had a, a problem and they couldn't solve it. Because in order to acquire... Imagine what the cost is to acquire a good young defenseman 
that is NHL ready. Like it, it's it's huge. You you have to take a significant player off your roster, and even JT Miller might not have gotten that done in a trade. Now people are hoping maybe that's going to be Bo Horvat, but then you've got an issue down the middle of the ice, and that's why I think a lot of people are coming to the conclusion that the Canucks just need to rebuild here. Forget trying to do this on the fly. Because trying to fix the blue line, like look at go and look at the free agency class for even next season. There's no one that's going to come in and fix this blue line. It's like John Klingberg and Shane Gostisbehere, and granted, those guys are those guys are good players and and they add something. But then you run into the risk of signing those guys long term and having them age out of their contracts. I get exactly what you're saying, and it, in some ways, it can be like you know plugging one hole and, and creating another. But the truth is, and we, we can talk about rebuild, the Canucks, if they're going to be tearing it down, there are still going to be a handful of players that they'd probably be building around with this team moving forward, in which then at some point you're, you know, you know Quinn Hughes is in that group. I'd imagine Pedersen's in that group. Like, go down the list of the guys that would be staying, and then you're wasting essentially the best years of their career at that exact juncture, unless you're suggesting that they move on from them too and have a complete total tear it down to the studs. And then you're looking at eight, you know, as Jim Rutherford said on after hours, I don't know that people appreciate how long it really takes. You're looking at eight years minimum. Yeah. No, I know they're in a, they're in a bad situation. Why, why right would you now? want to sign up for that as a fan? That's the only, I'd never question anyone and their ability to, you know, their opinion and they're paying harder and money. Why would you want to sign up for eight years of unwatchable hockey? Well, is Elias Pettersson going to sign up at all for a long-term contract? Uh, they like they might be forced into the rebuild, Frank, at this point. Maybe. Fun times in Vancouver. Thanks for joining us again, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Hang in there, guys. See you, buddy. Yeah, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. There's a reason that we're talking a lot about coaching, Barry Trotz, Bruce Boudreaux. We're going to play some audio here in a sec that kind of pertains to this. Uh, Dan Murphy from Sportsend is going to join us on the other side. We'll continue this coaching conversation, maybe talk about what kind of coach the Canucks need or if the guy that they have currently is the right voice. But a lot of people have texted us about this, so we're going to play the audio going to break here. Former Vancouver Canuck Ryan Kessler was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast two days ago, I think. And... Had a lot of different stories about his time in Vancouver, including a rather infamous one in that one unforgettable season when he was coached by John Tortorella. The amount of stories, the amount of content that we have been able to drive out of one season, one season of a coach with a team that wasn't that good, didn't make the playoffs, it really is remarkable. And it kind of underscores two things. One... Uh, just how far off the Canucks had fallen from their glory days of especially 2011. And then two, the kind of impact that Torts makes, almost regardless of the team that he's coaching. You hire John Tortorella, you hire coaches of his ilk to make an impression, and in a lot of cases, leave an impression. And break stuff, honestly. Also break, break stuff. stuff. So this is Ryan Kessler talking about a rather uh, infamous, and I didn't even realize that this story... Had legs, but it does now, talking about his time and a very infamous altercation with his former head coach, John Tortorella. 
So I'm in Phoenix. I think I get traded to Pittsburgh. Trade ends up being a hoax or, or something happened. So the next day, like we play play the next day in Dallas, I want to say. We we played like shit. I think we lost like five nothing. Come in and we go over video and, and every clip's just about me, like over and over. And he finally stops the clip and he's like, I'm worried about you, Kess. I'm really worried about you. You want out of here. And I said, you don't have to worry about me. And trade deadlines pass now, right? I'm staying. Um, and I'm like, you don't have to worry about me. Like, you. He's like, you. And it just goes back and forth. And like, he's, I stand up in my stall. He's, his, his nose is like in my chest. And I'm looking down <laughs> at him like, you want to make this about me and you? Yeah, I want to make this. And we just went back and forth. And I had, and then he's, he's like, he throws a tantrum, he throws the remote and he's like, I'm out of here. And he leaves. So he, like, I, I had a bunch of young guys coming up like, Oh, that's the best thing I ever seen. Cause no one stands up to the guy. Like, every, like everybody respects him, but they're also scared of him. So he comes up on the, onto the ice and I'm skating around. And he comes up and he shoves me on the ice. Like the T like it, this is in Vancouver. Like there's cameras in the, in the bleachers or, or in the stands and they're all like, and I'm like, holy shit, we're doing this right now. I'm going to fight a coach. Like, I'm fighting a coach on the ice right now. And then that's going through my mind. And he pushes me again. And I turn to him. And he's like, I fucking love it, Kess. That's, that's why. That's why you're going to be back. If I'm back here and you're back here, you're going to get your A back. And I go, towards. I'm not going to be back here. And you know you're not going to be back here. So that's not going to happen. And he starts laughing and he skates away. <laughs> okay, so the crazy part of all that of that. awesome story. That was eight years and three jobs ago for Tortorella. Yeah. And it's still the same stuff. I bet he does a different variation of the same thing. That's just Torts. Mm-hmm. And that's just what he does. He loves conflict. He loves chaos. He thrives on that. It'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Like, if that's what you're expected to do. Every day would be an adventure. It would be awesome. Every day would be an adventure. You know, like, I I don't mean to, you know, like, toot my own horn. I feel like I could be really good at that. Just go in there and yell at people and cause problems. Like, you know. (laughs) That doesn't sound like you at all. Cause, just cause problems. Well, amazing. I think uh, part of this. God, is, I want that job. I, I know that guy over there doesn't like you very much. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm we're worried up. about you, Andy. I think you want out of here. You think this career is a dead end? Well, you're right, but you're stuck in it. Are yeah, you we're pushing me? Are you in the banger? What are you? Yeah, I think here's the interesting. And I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but um, I I always have appreciated the fact that Tortorella understands something that a lot of people have a hard time dealing with, and that is that. Conflict often leads to good results in the end. Mm-hmm. Because if everyone just goes along with everything, and if people don't speak their minds, and there's not that challenge, and it's it's a very fine line between challenging someone and berating someone. But you got to have it out sometimes. It, but th- th- there's, you sure do. Well, no, but the idea is I'm addressing you in a way that might be brash and confrontational. But I'm hey, go doing, to break you, jerk. I'm doing this. Thank you. I'm doing this because I want to get to a better place, and I kind of know you want to get to a better place, or we want to achieve more. Yeah. And push. so let's cut to the chase here. And again, let's stop tap dancing around things here. Yeah. You and you can argue with the way that he goes about it and the execution of it, but the reality is, is that Torts firmly believes that you don't get anywhere 
when things are comfortable because people get too fat and they get too sassy and they get too happy. Or a lot of people are scared of confrontation. That's another part of it too, right? Once you have it out, is that sense of, oh, that's what that guy's all about. Right. Yeah? And it's, it's an interesting dynamic. And then in Vancouver, you get fired. Well, yeah. And then you last a year on the job. You leave with some sound bites and a fist fight with Bob Hartley. Uh, we got a lot more to get into on the program. Dan Murphy from Sportsnet is going to join us at 8.05. Murph just said that he will be on a plane today, Jason. Okay. So that's a bit of a, a, bit of a spoiler, a bit of a tease, because you were going to ask him the, the travel arrangements for Seattle. Mm-hmm. So we know it involves a plane. Right. So we're, getting, we're closer to cracking that code, which is what we're all about here. What are you mouthing in the back? Seattle. Well, you said Seattle. There. Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> You know, we're going to Seattle on an airplane. Hold that A for a while. Seattle. I do love Seattle. Halford, uh, when Halford starts to mispronounce a word, he just pushes through it. <laughs> That's what you got to do. And I admire him for that. He just <laughs> pushes through. He doesn't stop me, but like, pardon me. He's like, he just pushes right through when it. When I have conflict with a word, I make sure that the word feels the conflict. Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still holding that A. We've got a lot more to get to in the Halford and Bruff show. Don't go anywhere. Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet 650.